the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Khalid Namar. Welcome to Always Right Radio. This is Khalid Namar, in for my brother Bob France here on AM 1420, The Answer, on this Friday. And hopefully it's not the kind of Friday we are expecting. Hope it's a safe Friday for everybody. But there's some, there's some things going on in the world that uh, are not good. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about this situation over in Israel and Palestine. Uh, I'm going to talk about in the third hour um, something that is uh, a parallel going on here and it's going on in russia also i got the i got a great interview the first hour one of the premier frederick Douglass experts in the country k carl smith will be on to talk about his new book telling the truth he'll be on very shortly telling the truth how to leverage frederick frederick Douglass to save america and you you do want to hear k carl smith and i'm not just saying that full disclosure he's my cousin but uh you've heard him if you've heard me before on this show he is one of the premier, again, Frederick Douglass experts in America who's going to tell you about all about the principles of that great, great thinker, Frederick Douglass, and how we can use it to save America. Also, the second hour, I have Daryl Forrest, who is a Black Lives Matter activist in Rocky River. Yeah, you heard that right. Rocky River. He'll be on the second hour. So um looking forward to that. So please hang with us. We got... A jam-packed show full of information. First, let's get something out of the way that my brother Bob France does. We are going to do the Pledge of Allegiance, something you all love on this show. And as Bob says, if you want to sit this one out, kneel down next to your favorite quarterback and sit this one out. So, Seth, take it away, brother. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All righty, yes, sir. God bless America. So, I'm going to be talking about this situation with uh, Israel and Hamas. It, 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 you should have heard, they asked, Kamala Harris is not bright. They asked her, what does she think about Hamas? She said, well, I, I, I love Hamas as long as you have pita bread. <laughs> like no no it's not hummus <laughs> she's as sharp as a bowling ball anyway this situation is dire i was reading something um 
just recently, maybe maybe a couple of nights ago, and it jumped out at me. So this book was written in 2010, and I'm reading this chapter, and it, it, it's, it's a book that most people would reject the messenger, but I would say not. It's written by Pat Buchanan. It's called Suicide of a Superpower. I want you to bear with me and listen very carefully to this, what I'm about to read you, because it, it's, it doesn't paint a great picture in light of what's going on right now with Hamas and Israel. If democracy is destiny, Israel's future appears grim. Her population of seven and a half million is 80 percent Jewish, but the Arab minority is growing faster except for the ultra-Orthodox Jewish, known in Hebrew as Haradim, for whom eight children to a family is not unusual. Indeed, according to the Taub Center for Social Policy Studies in Israel, if present trends continue, by 2040, 78 percent of all primary school children in Israel will be either ultra-Orthodox or Arab. A point of an earlier chapter, the more religious the community, the larger the families, and the more secular and agnostic a people, the fewer the children. It's underscored by Eric Kaufman in Shall the Religious Inherit the Earth. According to Kaufman, ultra-Orthodox Jews, whether in Israel, Europe, or North America, have a two- or three-fold fertility advantage over their liberal Jewish counterparts. Their eventual achievement of majority status within worldwide jury in the 21st century seems certain. An Israeli blogger writes that in Israel, nearly 30% of all children, one to four years old, are Arab. And many Israelis, as John Mersheimer, now choose to live outside the country. There's somewhere between 700,000 and 1 million Israeli Jews living outside the country, most of whom are unlikely to return. Since 2007, Emigration has, has been outpacing immigration in Israel. According to scholars John Mueller and Ian Lustig, quote, a recent survey indicates that only 69% of Jewish Israelis say they want to stay in the country. And a 2007 poll finds that one quarter of Israelis are considering leaving, including almost half of all young people. Housing Minister Ariel Atias warns of a migration of the growing Arab population into Jewish sectors of Israel. Quote, I see it as a national duty to prevent the spread of a population that, to say the least, does not love the state of Israel. If we go on like we have until now, we will lose the, the Galilee. Populations that should not mix are spreading there. I don't think it's appropriate for them to live together. Quote, the act of Acre visited me yesterday for three hours and asked me how his town could be saved. Atia said, he told me that the Arabs are living in Jewish buildings and running them out. Atias urged that the land be sold to Jews and Arabs separately to, quote, create segregation between Jews and Arabs, but also between other sectors such as ultra-Orthodox and secular Jews. Not only an Iranian weapon of mass destruction, but demography is the existential crisis of the Jewish nation. According to UN figures, Israel pop Israel's population will exceed 10 million by 2050, but the Arab share will be almost 30%. Palestinians in the West Bank, East Jerusalem, and Gaza, 4.4 million today, will then number more than 10 million. Jordan's population, 60% of which is Palestinian, will also double to 10 million. By mid-century, then Palestinians west of Jordan River will outnumber Jews 2 to 1. 
add Palestinians in Jordan, it's three to one. And that does not count Palestinians in Egypt, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Syria, and the Gulf states, Gulf states whose numbers will also double by 2050. Palestinians today have one of the highest fertility rates on earth, five children per woman, though an Israeli source says that in Israel it has fallen to 3.9, and without the Bedouins of the Negev, 3.2 children per woman. Only Orthodox Jews in Israel, of whom there are some 800,000, exceed that. If Israel is to remain a Jewish state, a Palestinian state seems a national imperative. Yitzhak Rabin came to recognize this, but was assassinated. Ehud Barak came to recognize this and sought to bring it about. But in his last days in office, Ehud Omar warned, if the two, if the two state solution collapses, Israel will face a South African style struggle. Three months before he launched the Gaza war, Ehud Omar told two journalists that peace would require a return of the Golan Heights to Syria. The surrender of almost the entire West Bank and the return of East Jerusalem to the Palestinians. In the end, we will have to withdraw from the lion's share of the territories. And for the territories we leave in our hands, we will have to give compensation in the form of territories within the state of Israel at a ratio that is more or less one-to-one. -one. Whoever wants to hold on to all of Jerusalem will have to bring 270,000 Arabs inside the fences of sovereign Israel. It won't work. Absent a Palestinian state, Israel has three options. First, annex the West Bank, the one-state solution. This would bring 2.4 million Palestinians into Israel, giving her a population of 40% Arab. With their birth rate, the Palestinians would soon outnumber the Jews and vote to abolish the state, the Jewish state, the end of the Zionist dream. Second is the, the Kazan solution. The late Rabbi Mirka, I'm sorry, the Kahana solution. The late Rabbi Mir Kahana, assassinated in New York, urged the expulsion of all Palestinians from Judea and Samaria. But such ethnic cleansing would mean war with the Arabs, the isolation of Israel and the alienation of the United States. The third option is to an annexation, no Palestinian state, no expulsions, but permanent Israeli control of the West Bank and Gaza. This would entail making Gaza a penal colony of one and a half million with no way out by land, sea, or air, save by leave of the Israeli Defense Force. So essentially, the lack of defined boundaries within Israel and not an Iranian bomb is the greatest threat to our future. It must be understood that if between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea, there is only one political entity called Israel, it will by necessity either be Jewish or not democratic, and we will turn into an apartheid state. Echoed Omar, echoed Barak, Ehud Barak, and says, as soon as that happens, the state of Israel is finished. So essentially, it seems that there are some people who realize that the populations of Arabs eventually are going to overtake the state anyway. So it just doesn't seem to matter. Israeli birth rates are low as they are in Europe, as they are in Russia, as they are in other, other places in Spain, throughout Europe. Europeans are not having babies. Jap Japanese are not having babies. 
lot of populations are suffering from low birth rates. However, when you look at it this way with all these populations around Israel, it seems as though they may be just overtaken at some point. So now we have this situation with Hamas, this this brutal war that is unlike anything we've seen in the last 50 years. There's something that is going to break. This is going to be different, and it's coming to our streets. I believe it's coming to our streets because already I think I heard in France today they attacked someone. Um, you know, some I'm sure it was a Jewish person that was attacked. There was also in China, an Israeli ambassador was stabbed. This is coming to our streets, unfortunately. And I think what's what's happening is pretty frightening when you look at the enemies of Israel and the United States. We have them right here. There are no bigger America haters anywhere in the world than right here in the United States. You know, all you have to do is go to any college campus. I mean, anybody been to Oberlin? Uh, I'm sorry. No kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't want to insult. <laughs> I'm sorry. That slipped. Anyway, um, those Palestinian students who were out in the streets the last couple of days in major cities, p- pretty scary stuff. Because there, there are people who actually have in their hearts, they have a lot of bad things in their hearts, but we're educating them. We are educating these people to hate our country. It's not even about Israel. We have people in Congress, the Kook Squad. What uh what is it? Uh, Rashida Tlaib and uh Ilan Omar and I call them the Kook Squad. They are the angriest group of women I've ever seen in in Congress. But they're elected by people within their districts who share their values. And um what I'm gonna do is just I need we need to pray. We need to just pray. Um I'm going to take, uh, somebody's calling on line two. Let me see who this is on line two. Joe, are you there? Hello, Joe? Having some difficulty there. Yes, I'm not there. At any rate, um, Joe, you there? Yep. So anyway, I was, I was reading all this last night. You know, I was getting ready for the show, and I realized... This is really sobering, sobering stuff because everything comes down to populations. I think if you look at the history of Syria, same thing happened in Syria. Syria was predominantly Christian. They had a lot of refugees from from Palestine, Jordan, and eventually the population started to shift. There was a civil war and there was this mass immigration of uh, Christians over to the United States in the 1980s. Numbers, birth rates do matter. So I think Israel realizes this. They have a huge diaspora around the world, but with all the strife, and particularly this event, is not going to bode well for people who want to move to the state of Israel. Who's, who's to say that they won't lose another several thousand people in this war? So... This is some scary stuff. So, um, but anyway, I'm going to be talking more about this probably in third hour. 
We have K. Carl Smith coming up in the next segment. He's going to talk about his new book, Telling the Truth, How to Leverage Frederick, Frederick Douglass to Save America. I am Khalid Namar. You're listening to Always Right Radio. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Always Right Radio. I am Khalid Namar. I'm talking about the population shift that is seemed to be inevitable, inevitable for Israel. The, in in the uh, Robert Gates book, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who's a national security advisor and Jimmy Carter, talked to um, Mr. Gates, and he told him years ago, years ago, that Putin recognizes the population of Russia to be disappearing. And he wanted all those ethnic Russians inside the borders of Ukraine to bring them into the fold of Russia. I remember years ago, he was telling his people they better start getting busy making babies because he sees that their population is shrinking. So further in this book, suicide of a superpower, which it has some very sobering information in it. It says with the collapse of the empire and breakup of the Soviet union, Russia seems to have lost the will to live in a historic development. Russia's population has fallen from 148 million in 1991 to 140 million today. And that was in 2010 when this was written and is expected to plunge to 116 million by 2050, a loss of 32 million Russians in six decades. If the projections hold six decades of freedom, which, which will have resulted in the disappearance of more Russians than 70 years of Bolshevism from the October revolution through the civil war of 1919-1920 to the starvation of the Kulaks and the great terror of the 1930s, the Gulag and all of the dead great patriotic war with the Nazis in Germany from 41 to 45. They would have lost more Russians over the next, you know, 20 years than through all of that. This is like really, really incredible. People realize this. Putin realizes this. That's your economy. That's your future. He needs people to keep Russia alive. America's birth rates are right now below replacement. The only populations that are projected to grow are India, China, I think Nigeria, and, and of course, some Muslim countries. European countries, I think it's over for their birth rates, which is why their immigration numbers are huge. Because who's going to work? Who's going to work? Who's going to work? Who's going to have babies? This is very, very sobering stuff. And the only thing that we have in this country that we can count on to produce babies is the NBA. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to make a joke. <laughs> I don't mean to make a joke out of it. But anyway. <laughs> so wait, let me, uh, let me bring Joe up. Uh, let me try to get Joe. Joe, are you on the line there? Good morning, Khalid. Thank you for bringing up such an important and central issue, the yes. demographics, not, yes, not only in Israel, but around the world. <laughs> you brought up the, the fundamental problem, which is that Israel doesn't want to annex Gaza because that will change uh, the makeup of the uh, voting population, mm-hmm. but they can't keep them uh, kind of locked up in that 
open-air jail, in a sense, forever either. So they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. But here's my suggested solution, a coalition government. In the British Empire, there were multiple nations under one ruling uh, body, you know, Canada, Australia, the U.K., Northern Ireland, etc. Israel could do something similar. It could form a kind of new federated government that has kind of too many states within one overall uh, government at the head that, that maintains uh, effective control out, you know, in terms of international relations. This could be set up as a kind of process so that the Palestinians could uh, consider a two-state solution over time, or they could stay within this this federated government. It's it's wow. a kind of compromise solution. Yeah. Well, I, I honestly, I, I respect your call, Joe, and thank you for calling. I respect your opinion. I just don't think that's going to happen because Palestinians want Israelis dead. They want them dead. There's no compromise there. You can't meet in the middle when somebody wants you dead. It's like, you know, there's no compromise there. If I want to live and you want me dead, it's kind of hard to meet in the middle. But I, I like your thinking, though. Anyway, we're going to be right back with K. Carl Smith on the other side talking about his group book, Telling the Truth, Leveraging Frederick Douglass to Save America. Stick around. I'm Khalid Namar. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. I am Khalid Namar. I'm in for Bob France. I would be remiss if I did not tell you who I am, if you don't know. I host a show called Rising Tides on this network on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. to 11. It's called Rising Tides on Sunday nights, so you can check me out there. I'm also on Instagram at Khalid Namar is speaking. Khalid Namar is speaking on Instagram as well as Khalid Namar on Facebook and the site formerly known as Twitter, which is X, which I thought is the dumbest brand change I've ever heard. Anyway, it's Khalid Namar is speaking on X as well. So check me out on Rising Tides on Sunday nights. We got some uh, we do we do a lot of local things state things on on my show on Sunday nights and not so much as national stuff but we live in Ohio and we got to focus just like Tip O'Neill said all politics is local we do a lot of local issues county issues state issues that's rising tides on Sunday night with yours truly on the line without further ado this gentleman is one of the premier experts on the teachings of Frederick Douglass our great abolitionist and thinker He's written books on Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass Republicans. He has written a new book called Telling the Truth, How to Leverage Frederick Douglass to Save America. K. Carl Smith, how are you, sir? I'm doing exceptionally well, brother. How you doing? I'm well. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for being patient on uh, Always Right Radio. Let's talk well, about your book. Let's get into it. So why did you write this book uh, this time? Okay. The uh, the exact title is Telling Conservatives the Truth. Ah, Telling Conservatives and, the Truth, okay. Yeah, and so, look, we got a nation to save, and we're running out of time. We, uh, 
the socialist Marxist agenda is is attacking us from all angles. Uh, they're coming after our children. It's in our schools. It's in government. Um, businesses are now woke. So I wrote the book because there's an answer to save America. There's an answer, a way to defeat uh, Marxism and socialism. Uh, look, the left has a movement. They have a movement. They surround and follow the philosophy of a guy named Karl Marx. They even identify themselves as Marxists. They have a movement. We lack a movement. We, we, we need a liberty movement that can sweep across America, change hearts and minds, and educate people about the value of liberty. But now the question is, who's going to be our leader? The left has Karl Marx. We've got to find a leader. So some people may think, well, it's President Trump. Well, President Trump is good, but he's not the best, so he's not the leader. It's the same thing with uh, DeSantis. He's good. He's not the best, but so he's not the leader. Is it Nikki Haley or Tim Scott? They're good. They're not the best, so they're not the leader. So we got to find a leader who is unassailable. That means you can't question him, you can't attack him, and you can't defeat him. There's only one person that meets that criteria, and that's Frederick Douglass. So tell us about Frederick Douglass. Why can't you, you always say you can't out-victim Frederick Douglass? Yeah, you cannot victimize. Frederick, Frederick Douglass, a man who was born under slavery, was a slave for 20 years, ended up being advisor to five Republican presidents, Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, James Garfield, Rutherford Hayes, and Benjamin Harrison. Frederick Douglass, in my view, is the ideal embodiment of what we can call conservative values. I don't use the word conservative. I refer to them as life-empowering values. We can get into later why I don't use the word conservative. And if you're conservative, you should stop, you should stop using it, too. Um, so Douglas wrote and spoke about what I call 12 life empowering values, respect for the U.S. Constitution, respect for life, the belief in the limited power of government, economic prosperity, free speech, the, pop, the, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, the right to vote, uh, religious liberty, legal immigration. Douglas wrote and spoke about each one of those those life empowering values. So when you leverage, to get to your question, when you leverage what a former slave had to say about those values, it resonates with people because Douglas was not a, uh, a slave master. He was a slave. Douglas was not a racist. He was a victim of racism. So in his writing and in his speeches, Douglas affirmed the founding fathers, and he affirmed the U.S. Constitution, and the left has no answer for that because how can you win an argument with a former slave about his admiration for the founding fathers and the U.S. Constitution? That's what Douglas brings to the table, and that's what, that's what the, left, the left can't stand. So I talk about when you – get this, Khalid. When you compare – uh, the lives of Frederick Douglass and Karl Marx, a lot of people don't know Frederick Douglass and Karl Marx were both born in 1818. Wow, I didn't know that. I yeah, Karl I, Marx, I, you know, Karl Marx never had a real job in his life. So it's kind of like Bernie Sanders. He, the poster <laughs> child for white privilege. <laughs> yes. it's, it's, uh, Karl Marx's father was an attorney. Karl Marx went to a private school. 
He married into money. His wife came from a successful business family. His uh, Karl Marx business partner, Friedrich Engel, mm-hmm. supported him financially. And Karl Marx had a rich, a rich uncle. Wow. On the other side, Doug was born into slavery, was separated from his mother at birth, didn't know his father. The rumor was his father was his slave master. So Karl Marx gets over there and became a theorist about oppression. He never experienced the oppression he wrote about, but he wrote about oppression. Douglas had real-life experiences about oppression that he wrote about. You follow me? Yes. So when you contrast the lives of Frederick Douglass and Karl Marx, when you tally it up, Karl Marx was an atheist. Frederick Douglass was an ordained Christian preacher. Karl Marx was a revolutionist. Douglass, Douglass said in his third autobiography, he said, I'm not a revolutionist, I'm a reformer. A revolutionist want to tear everything up, they want to shred the Constitution, and they want us to put them in charge. Douglass said, no, let's keep the best that we have, including the Constitution, and make things better. Karl Marx died in abject poverty. Douglas died with $300,000 in savings, which, over thir- which is over $30 million today. Douglas died a one percenter. So all the, the success that Douglas achieved in his life would never occur under Marxist philosophy. So when you compare the two, the tally is on, on the side of the ledger of Karl Marx, you have slavery. On Douglas' side, you have liberty. So I contend if we're going to win this, win this nation back to liberty, into freedom, we must learn how to leverage the life and part and values of Frederick Douglass that he wrote and spoke about to counter the anti-God, anti-liberty agenda of Marxism. Because the most effective messaging strategy or liberty message to defeat Marxism is Frederick Douglassism versus Marxism. Mm-hmm. There's no other way. I'm convinced of that. There's there's no other way. There's There's no... There's no unassailable, iconic American hatred that we can find that brings the table with Douglas brain. You can't question them. You cannot victimize. You can't question them. You can't attack them. He wasn't a slave owner. He was a slave. And you can't defeat them. That's why we've got to leverage Douglas. So that's why I wrote the book. I lay out in the book how to leverage what are Douglas's values, what he said about those life-empowering values, and how do you, as a conservative now, how do I have a conversation with someone and not a confrontation? How do I win the narrative? Or in essence, how do I trump the race card so I can drive the narrative and start changing hearts and minds and get people to change how they vote because I can enlighten them, I can inspire them or ignite in them a passion for liberty and not to think that socialism is, is the way. K. Carl Smith is my guest and his new book, Telling Conservatives the Truth, Leveraging, Leveraging Frederick Douglass to Save America. So one of the things that I love about the Douglass story, uh, you find around 4th of July, people post excerpts out of context, excerpts from the 4th of July speech where he yeah. slams the Constitution. Why don't you talk about what Douglass thought about the Constitution earlier in his life versus later? Well, you read that speech, um, what to the slaves of the 4th of July, Douglas did something, what I call the double reversal. He started off praising the founders for their fight for, for freedom. Then in the middle of that speech, he said, basically said, why did y'all bring me here? Did you bring me here to mock me? He said, you have, you're celebrating the 4th of July, but you have your fellow citizens enslaved in the South. He said, what to the state of your 4th of July? Because he said, well, he said, your anthem 
and your your flag and your anthem and your flag is a sham, it's a fraud. He said that. Then he come back and said, "Look, I need your help. This this is the best place to be. This country. I need your help to come here and help me to end slavery, so we can have all our citizens benefit what's in this Constitution." So he praised them, criticized them, said, "I need your help. Let's save let's save this America. Let's have a fourth. Let's have an independence for everyone that's free." So that's how they cherry pick those. They just focus on the middle part of the speech and not the entirety of the speech. Yeah, it's fully taken out of context for sure. for, for political reasons. One of my favorite parts of his uh, Frederick Douglass's biography autobiography is his masterful takedown of Christianity as it was practiced, not as it right. was, it was intended. It was an amazing. I, I'm actually was because I was I was I was jealous that I could not write this way. The way he's totally beautifully dismantled the hypocrisy of Christianity at the time, the way it was practiced. So reason why I bring that up is because you hear people say that, well, Christianity is what got us enslaved and so forth and so on. So talk about that. Yeah. Well, Christianity is what got us enslaved. So here's the question. The question is, if not, if you're a Christian or not, the question, what kind of Christian are you? Exactly. That's the question. And what Doug was saying those who call themselves Christians were not the Christians that Christ described. Exactly. That's that's the difference. So the question is, what kind of Christian are you? Are you the kind that compromise? Are you kind you speak it, but you don't practice it? That's not the kind that Douglas want to have. He don't bring me. He said, don't bring me that kind of Christian that believe in whipping and raping. I don't want that kind of Christian. Yeah. So bring me one that's pure, that's that's trying to live it the right way. That's what he was talking about. But I didn't answer your question the first time. You asked about Douglas on the Constitution. I got off on a tangent. I apologize. Quickly, when you leverage what a former slave had to say and his admiration for the U.S. Constitution, and you leverage that when you engage people, folks don't have an answer for it. Let me give you an example of Douglas said one time. He said, quote, the Constitution reads, we the people. It does not read, we the white people. Douglas went on to say, and I'm paraphrasing here, he said, if black folks are considered to be people, then they should be benefactors of the Constitution. Douglas concluded by saying, the problem is not with the Constitution. The problem is in the application of the Constitution. So that's why that's why Douglas's words are so vital for the for the times we're living in. Matter of fact, I would say Frederick Douglass is a divine fit for the times we're living in. We just got to be wise to leverage him and his literary legacy to counter the uh, anti-God, anti-liberty agenda of the left. I'm telling you, the left has absolutely no answer for Frederick Douglass, and they never will. We got to get Douglass on our team. We got, don't call any special plays. Just give him the ball and let mm-hmm. him go. Yeah, take it. Take his liberty message. Understand it. Get K. Carl's book. You're not going to find my book on Amazon, by the way, because my first book was on Amazon. They played games with me. It took it all. Come back on. I, I, I'm not going through that anymore. So on the only way you can get my book, you got to come to my website, and that's where you get autographed copy. And it's K. Carl. It's K. C. A. R. L. Inc. dot com. K. Carl Inc. dot com. Doug is the answer to save this nation. We got We got to leverage it. And thank God. We have the literary legacy and the life of Douglas to 
uh, Save America because when you really study Douglas, Frederick Douglas is America's greatest writer, thinker, speaker, thought leader when it comes to liberty and the U.S. Constitution. No one compares to him, not even the founding father, because none of the founding fathers were slaves. Douglas was a slave. So by that, him having a slave experience makes his message where it resonates with people more and more universal. So who do you think is the leading communicator on the right right now? Because you need a communicator. You need someone. You need a, a, a Reagan-esque, Reagan-esque type of communicator. Who do you think that is? Frederick Douglass. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> living? No one living? What has to happen, Kaylee, those who are living need to get a Douglass message, start articulating it. Right. And leverage Douglass' liberty message to help them better articulate what they believe in. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. They got to get into Douglas writings. Douglas wrote all the things that are being attacked today. Uh, right of people keeping bare arms, immigration, um, respect for the U.S. Constitution, respect for life. Douglas wrote about all those things. Those things have been attacked today. So what? I don't care what politician it is, because our message is more important than, it's bigger than any one politician. So I don't care who the leader is today, if you want to have a message, it's going to have a universal appeal. Get lost into the liberty message of Frederick Douglass and learn how to integrate what Douglass said into your uh, Trump speech, if you will, so you can become a better message of liberty. And also have a, you know, conservatives got a brand problem. We got an image problem. We got to stop using the word conservative because it doesn't work. Right. So tell people, so a, tell people yeah. again, how can they get your book? Uh, K. Carl is K. It's C. A R L Inc. I N C. K. Carl Inc. dot com. Yep. K. Carl Inc. dot com. You can get a copy of Telling Conservatives the Truth: How to Leverage, leverage Frederick Douglass to Save America. K. Carl Inc. dot com. Definitely, yeah, people are asking about that. So here is what I look at right now. Some of these people on the right lately, it's been Vivek. He never met a microphone he didn't like, and he seems to uh, always put his foot in his mouth every time he has an interview. Uh, some racial issue gets these people trapped. They always get stuck in the mud. And if it's not, you know, Vivek, it's Tim Scott. It's I don't understand why these people cannot speak uh, <laughs> without get, getting reason themselves why, in trouble. Reason why they not they they got they need to become better students of Douglas. If you knew something about Douglas. Because racism today is pale in comparison to what Douglas dealt with. And when you read what Douglas said about it, and you learn how to incorporate that into your message, you can deal with those questions. So I wasn't being flippant when you asked me about who, I, who today is an is a expression of, of a leader of liberty. Nobody today. <laughs> right. Because if you're, not, if you're not leveraging Frederick Douglas, you don't have a chance, especially if you're a conservative. You got a chance to, to, to be effective because we, because of negative propaganda, colleague. Yep. We have a brand problem. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No one trusts us. I mean, so you say you tell somebody you're conservative, you just you just admit it. Basically, you're a racist, or you're Uncle Tom. You just sell out. So now you're on the fence. You have no credibility. You no trust. But you got it. But you got to gain that. How do you get it? Well, get get, get K. Carl's book. I explain all that. Yeah. Because they've effectively, I think it started. I think in the 60s with Goldwater. 
What's that? Uh, the word has been dirtied down. Yeah, that's when the word conservative became culturally ingrained, especially the black community. Yeah. To mean racist. And in addition, on top of that, you have the negative propaganda of the left harnessed the word. Yeah, the media. Uh, and the response from conservatives has been weak. And so, therefore, the uh, negative aspects of the word gain traction. And it's and it gaining training. Like when little kids now, when I try to go to college now, they're taught in college, Kelly, you know this, mm-hmm. that the word, conser- the word conservative means um, they think somebody's a conservative, they're a Nazi or a racist. Yeah, yeah. They, the, the left is done, particularly the media, because they love that word. They love to hammer that into where it is now synonymous with an old cantankerous white guy. Well, well I, I hate to give... Um, Paul Walensky, any credit yeah. for anything, but yeah. in his book, Roots for Radicals, mm. he hit the nail on the head when he said, he who controls the language controls the masses. Mm-hmm. That's what's going on. And that's where we get our clock clean. So now they control, they have redefined the word conservative, but yet we're using it to identify ourselves. We're not gaining traction. We're losing. And I'm like the one, I don't like to lose. So in my book, you're going to find out, I, I, I contend to get rid of the word conservative. Matter of fact, when you go to my website, scroll down, you'll see an image of Rush Limbaugh. Play that audio clip. Okay. Um, and uh, some background on that. When Rush made this yeah. comment and then my website, he made it in 2018. Nine months before that, I got a call for the Rush Limbaugh show through a friend of mine. And they said, keep it up. Because since 2008, I've been saying get rid of the word conservative. Yeah, oh, Rush I know. agreed with me in 2018. Yeah. So listen to that audio. Yeah. So... So, Go ahead. Am I yeah, talking too much? Yeah, break? No, no. We 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 got we're at the bottom of the hour. So look, we got to wrap it up. Uh, K. Carl Inc. Get his book, kcarlinc.com, telling conservatives the truth. Thank you, cuz I'm gonna have you on my show probably in the next week or two. So Let's we're gonna we, we're gonna do this again real soon. Okay, brother. All right. Out of here. All right. Take smith.com Grab his book. I'm Khalid Namar. Stick around. We got BLM activist Daryl Forrest on the second half of with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Khalid Namar. Welcome to the second hour of Always Right Radio. I am Khalid Namar, and for Bob France. I always want to thank my brother Bob for giving me this opportunity. It's my third year doing this, and you can catch me on Sunday nights, Rising Tides, here on this network. Uh, follow me on social media. Khalid Namar is speaking on X. Khalid Namar on Facebook, and Khalid Namar is speaking on uh, Instagram. So follow me. So, as we know, over the last several years, there's been this Black Lives Matter movement all over the country. There are chapters all over the the country. They've had some controversies due to some corruption and some other things. And they've been in the news lately because of their support which uh, for, for Palestine and for the assault that took place. At least one of their chapters was responsible for a very uh, controversial meme that they put out. But we have a local activist here in Northeast Ohio in Rocky River. His name is Daryl 
Forrest, and he is on the line. Welcome to Always Right Radio. Daryl, how are you? Good, and yourself, Khalid? I am well. I'm well. Thank you for joining me on such short notice. Uh, I heard about you through a friend of mine, Dan Messina. Thanks, Dan, for yeah. linking up this interview. Um, he told me about you a few months ago, so I wanted to talk to you. I thought this audience and this platform would be good for this discussion, so thank you again for coming. So, Not a problem. My question for you, give me a little bit about your background and how did you end up in Rocky River? <laughs> well, so I was born and raised in Chicago, actually, and I ended up in Ohio through um, uh, my one of my jobs was as a sales engineer with Mobile Oil U.S. Marketing Refining Group. So pretty much uh, settled on the west side uh, in Westlake um, and um, was in industry for about 12 years. And then afterwards, uh, moved over into the biopharmaceutical side of the business. Uh, of the world and have been in that for actually over 30 years, so kind of dating myself here, mm -hmm. uh, and have matriculated between Westlake, Avon, and Rocky River. And so I ended up in Rocky River uh, in 2006, have been there ever since. Uh, I have two children who are in the Rocky River um, High School, uh, a sophomore and junior, back there in front of the Rock Hall right now playing. Uh, well, I guess maybe they're finished now. They were The marching band was doing about six, performances uh from six o'clock in the morning until about now <laughs> oh is, is that where you are now no 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 i'm okay. home I, okay. I didn't go <laughs> okay <laughs> okay good yeah, yeah the beer right right so yeah, but uh, mm -hmm. the way I, I met dan was um we had a little we used to do a little mini protest uh on saturdays um uh for about an hour and dan introduced himself to me uh with uh part of braver angels and he and i eventually met up uh, we had brunch and um, had a great discussion, and then he invited me to one of their meetings. So I'm one of the new members of Braver Angels. Right. I think you and I were at the meeting last month. We just didn't get a chance to speak. Um, oh, in the, uh, in the restaurant? Yeah, we were there, yeah. Oh, okay. All yep. right. Yes, yes, I remember. Okay. Yep. So, so the question I have is, what, what are your activities with BLM? And this is my first question. Second question is, why Rocky River? Uh, and okay, so the first part is um, some of the activities that we first off, just as a, a clarifier, understand that the the term the Black Lives Matter organization, uh, there is no hierarchy, correct, and they're decentralized. Exactly. So whatever the national is doing has nothing to do with what we're doing locally Understood. Uh, and vice versa. And, and I, I read something about what the Chicago chapters said and then kind of retracted. Um, and again, that has nothing to do with Correct. us Correct. Uh, per se. Yep. Uh, but some of the things that we get involved in, for instance, uh, after the George Floyd uh, uh, murder, you know, we did a, I, I was the one responsible for setting up uh, a unity rally quote protest, uh, within the city. Um, and it was not unlike uh, what some of the other cities did. Avon did it, Bay Village did it, Lakewood, and so forth. And then, of course, we know that the major cities, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Youngstown, and stuff like that, did them as well. Uh, but some of, so that was the genesis for us getting together and saying, well, why don't we just start a, you know, kind of a chapter here? And then uh, in the interim, what we've been doing is things like, uh, again, I mentioned those little mini protests, just reminding people we're here. 
and we are watching and being vigilant on everything from police traffic stops, you know, when there's a zillion cars behind one poor minority person, just making sure everything is going well. Uh, but then also uh, we do, we've been doing things like we set up a black fiction book club, back to school supply collection, um, women's shelter drives, uh, annual kids winter coat drives. And then we also, I was one of the uh, 11 that was running for the board of ed a couple of years ago and uh, lost by 124 points, but I was happy because that was my first time out. Uh, but we had introduced prior to that something called Five for Five program, which was basically saying, look, you need rep- proper minority representation within the schools. Um, and so the Five for Five was basically five people, you know, of, of different backgrounds for five years for each of the schools that we had. And the, the be- benefit of that would be to help, you know, reframe kids' perceptions of what black leaders actually look like and bring um, different perspectives, you know, point of views to a majority white community. So that is the reason why it was very important uh, in a place like Rocky River. Um, As I said, we have compatriots who are over in Bay Village, but they chose a different name. So they're called BVAN, which is uh, Bay Village Anti-Racism Network and so on. So again, it, it was, we're here, it, we, we need to understand each other, and you'll always hear me talk about empathetic communication. Okay, so let me ask you this. Um, what is your goal? Uh, within the... Uh, yeah, like, 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 like what, do you, what do you hope to achieve with all of your efforts? What, what is your goal? What's your end game? Well, I mean, mine is... is is very in the sense that we want to make sure that everyone, the way that I look at it, I think you've probably seen the, uh, the ratings for the various school districts and Rocky river is way up there. You know, we're like, I think number two in the city. Uh, we are, I think 15 in the state, you know, so from an academic standpoint, we're really hitting it on all levels. You know, we got a couple of, um, you know, scandal issues going on, but, you know, that gets resolved. Uh, but in terms of psychosocial, we, uh, uh, Rocky River has a tendency to operate like a, we call it the bubble. And what m- my goal has been and the organization's goal has been is to really embrace this idea of, of, of everyone understanding the, the, uh, empathetically what people uh, go through, you know, within, within this, this country, understanding true history so that they have a context of not being blindsided when they step outside of this bubble, and I'm speaking in terms of kids, uh, so that they fully understand and, and have context to what people talk about in the news today, what they see in the, you know, here in the radio or see in the newspapers and understanding okay, now I understand what the basis of that is. And the only way that that can happen is for someone like me to be present, you know, uh, within the city in regards to any issues that not only affect our kids, but also affect, uh, you know, minority kids, but also affect any of the kids that are here. Because my own goal is I'm not a volunteer just for 
my kids. I am a church school junior achievement volunteer for all of the kids that are in this area uh, or in the other areas as well to set the tone for, um, you know, looking at uh, changing the perceptions, potential perceptions of what an actual black leader looks like. Okay. So here, 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 thank you for that. So here, here's, here's my perspective on this. Cause when I first heard about what you were doing, I was curious, I was like, well, why Rocky river number one and number two, the way that I think, uh, things should be my job. When I go out, I talk to a lot of kids. I go to schools. I've been a mentor. I've been a volunteer and a lot. I've been, a, I've done a lot of things in talking to young people. I was just at two schools last week. My goal is to try to improve the lives of black people in these communities, period. Culturally, educationally, that's my goal. I don't have an interest in talking to suburbanites because, again, the kids in this city need help. There's illiteracy. There's murder rates that are in triple digits in about 30 American cities. Uh, black women's murder rates are up 32% nationwide. I don't know if you knew about that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Carjackings are rampant. People are going to jail on moving sidewalks. I spent three years working as a correctional officer, so I've seen quite a bit of, mm-hmm. of, of, of just carnage. Illiteracy rates are so high, which leads to more incarceration. Right. Young people, I just spent time talking to a bunch of uh a group, shall I say, of, of, of sixth graders about obeying the law, how to become more literate, how to become gainfully employed. All of these things have a ripple effect when it comes to interactions with law enforcement. Our lives materially are not going to improve unless our culture improves. So the people in Rocky River, Bay Village, you know, I personally don't see how speaking to them is going to affect black lives Perhaps maybe uh, you can clarify that for me, but th- just think about that question real quick because I have somebody yeah, that wants yeah. to ask you a question. Seth? Sure. This is my, my producer engineer, Seth uh, Williams, going to ask you a question. All right. Uh, if, if you don't mind, I, I, I mean this with all due respect, sir, and I appreciate you coming on the show yeah. today. Um, recently, the Black Lives Matter yeah. movement came out in Chicago with a meme of a paratrooper. Are we still on? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're on. Are you there? Hey, there you go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. So, so recently the Black Lives Matter movement came out with a meme with a paratrooper um, saying that they stand with Palestine. Do you believe in the extinction of a race? Because you are Black Lives Matter. You support the movement, and that is what the movement came out and said the other day. Well, remember, as I mentioned before, uh, Black Lives Matter is a decentralized organization. So when you say the movement made that statement, that wasn't the movement. That was a group in Chicago. You still identify as Black Lives Matter, correct? It, it doesn't matter. I, I can identify as the I can identify as a dog. Group. I'm asking you, but you identify I, I, I as exactly. Black Lives so Matter. You're asking me. I'm trying to answer your question. Okay. If you're asking me, do I believe in genocide of an of of, an, of a race? Absolutely not. And if you were, quite frankly, and and what I'm saying, telling you is that was one group 
isolated in Chicago, if you were to ask another group, uh, the ones that mobilized in uh, New Hampshire, for instance, and I guess three groups came together, they would probably give you a different answer. Okay. So, so the question I have is, what does BLM mean to you personally? Well, Black Lives Matter, for me, the, the overall arching premise behind Black Lives Matter was looking at... Um, uh, but to you, what does it mean to you? Criminal, well, to me, mm-hmm. it, it was criminal justice reform. But one of the things that I look at it as, as an adjunct is, and, and I think this will answer your question regarding why, you know, uh, the suburbs or what have you, is the fact that, you know, we've all been somehow conditioned um, to be against each other, whether it's left, right, white, black, you name it. And so, and, and, and I'll be honest with you, within my group, I am more of the unifier in terms of that's the reason why I joined the, the Braver Angels. In order for very, you know, we, we have to educate ourselves as black Americans in regards to things that you were talking about, Khalid, which I applaud you for. Um, but at the same token, we need allies. And if we do not cultivate allies from other races, specifically white, in order to understand that when I'm telling you something, I'm not just saying it just to speak out of turn. I am telling you based on experiences that people have. People could look at, you know, and and, and so we're trying to change perception. And, And the way that you change perceptions is through things like what you you know, in terms of me being out there, what you hear, what you read in terms of what you learn in class and what you learn in school. And so that's one of the reasons why I was very, uh, I got into the board race because of the fact of all the culture wars uh, issues that, that germinated within the education system, like all at the same time across the entire country. And I was Mm -hmm. the same voice. Okay. basically stating, look, here's the deal. Just teach history in its entirety. You'll be fine. Okay. And that's so, what I used to say. Okay. If you teach it correct, true history, you'll be fine. Because, again, these kids will leave this bubble. And if they do not have an understanding and an allyship with us or any other minorities, then we're going to have a hard, difficult time. We, we can convince ourselves and educate ourselves all we want. But if we don't have the assistance with our white counterparts out there, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle. Okay, so I'm I'm glad you talked about allies because I will agree with you on that. Okay, I'll I'll tell you this, but let me tell you what what's really destroying that fabric right now. I I every single day I'm watching local news from around twelve different cities, and as a 54 year old. A uh, black man who's grown up in the inner city, who attended inner city schools, who attended a black college, who has been active in the community for years. I have never seen such atrocious behavior than it's happening right now. I was a tutor, as I mentioned, for inner city school a couple of years ago. None of the volunteers who worked at that school were from the community. They were all from the suburbs. They were from Grace mm-hmm. Church in Strongsville or Middlebrook Heights. They were busting in twice a week. No one from that community 
was at that school. I don't live in that community. I live in another community, but I volunteered there. So there are people who are afraid to come into the city now because they're going to get knocked over the head and robbed and carjacked. There are people who want to help, but they're afraid for their lives. There are people mm-hmm. who, who are helping and they're getting murdered. There, there are people who are going out to your communities, Bay Village, Rocky River, and they're carjacking people. They're not obeying the law. I give talks on obeying the law. The, the, the jails and the cemeteries are filling up. Baltimore has lost 14 young people to murder this year. 14 young people. D.C. has over 200 homicides this year. Philadelphia, 400 black women and girls have been shot over the last four years. 100 of them have died. Memphis, record number of domestic violence uh, deaths. Ohio, record number of domestic violence deaths in the black community. In other words, we have serious problems right here in these communities that are affecting people's lives, quality of lives in the suburbs. My thing is this. I go out and speak to kids. I've spoken at school board meetings. I've been to schools out in the suburbs myself. So I understand what you're talking about in terms of representation. But when it comes to improving the lives of black people, I just don't believe that you're going to do it for spending your time in Rocky Rilla in Bay Village. It is your time. It is your time. And I respect it. But my my goal is to improve the lives of people in these communities, because guess what? It is a ripple effect with all of behavior that's going on and it's trickling out to the suburbs and people are moving out of our county because they don't want to be involved in, in the in the destruction that's going on in these cities. If you can stick around, you can respond to that. I'm Khalid Namar, always right radio. See you in a minute. Okay. In the age of unreason, always right radio with Bob France and the answer. We all know. Okay. Anyway, I'm getting into the song. Um, <laughs> welcome back to Always Right Radio. I'm Colleen Namar. I am on with local BLM activist in Rocky River, Daryl Forrest. Thanks for hanging on, Daryl. Bef- uh, before we get to a caller, because someone has a question for you, uh, I went on a little rant the last segment. So why don't you respond, if you will, to uh, if you want to. To my my last rant. Are you there? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. So there you uh, go. So a couple of things. First off, um, you were asking me, you know, about you know whether uh, just focusing on Rocky River versus out in the community, you know, in other areas like where you're at, um, you know, uh, why haven't I been doing that or have I been doing that? And so what I, I want to clarify. So when I was teaching. Uh, as a junior achievement uh, uh, volunteer, I was out in the community, not in this area, but I was in other communities. I've taught in this area as well. Uh, but one of the things that, um, as I mentioned before, I've been in biopharmaceuticals for about 30 years. And um, after the George Floyd situation and BLM kind of exploded, one of the things that you started seeing was uh, this whole area of diverse uh, DEI. 
Uh, now it's mm-hmm. DEIB, I guess. Uh, oh, they added, they added another letter? Yeah, they added, yeah. Uh, B is belonging. <laughs> oh, God. So that means in five years, it's going to be like seven seven letters. Uh, uh, well, Because, listen, <laughs> 20 years ago, it was just LG. Now it's yeah. LGBTQ and so forth. So it's going to be another I, six I or seven letters. CQA. <laughs> right, like right, right. Anyway. Go ahead. Uh, but the thing is, is that, so from what I do as a living, one of the things that I've been involved in, so uh, my position has been in the cancer arena for majority of that time. And so when you look at the health disparities across minority um, populations across the country, what I've been doing and dealing with is within these, in the, uh, uh, these in- teaching institutions across the country, we've been working, and I'm not talking about BLM, this is just me mm-hmm. because of my position, is working and setting up studies and understanding why there is a, these disparities in health issues across the country as it pertains to minority. And you can map it just as easily as you can map the redlining. Of the, the, this is part of the effects of redlining. And the reality is, is that and then coming up with ways that we can address the community in terms of changing that. So, for instance, if you will look at University Hospital of Cleveland right now, They've set up, uh, a, they, they noticed that from a, a men's health standpoint, that men just don't want to go to, you know, the doctor. There's significant others literally, like, drag them there. So what they ended up doing is setting up a, 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 um, a facility specifically geared towards men in the community. So it's, it's mm-hmm. in the Midtown area. I'm familiar. And, and then trying to get, you know, working different ways, you know, very creative ways of getting guys out so that they can get their blood screening, blood, you know, uh, the blood pressure screenings and, you know, whatever else needs to take place and kind of, uh, de- debunking the fear of, uh, the health community, which, you know, has some historical basis, but people don't really understand. Um, you know, what improvements and things have gone on in the past. So, so from my, you know, daytime mm-hmm. job, that's one of the mm-hmm. things that I've been working with. But then the other thing is I was also asked to address the police academy, which I had done. Um, uh, the current chief of police here at Rocky River asked, actually asked me to do that. And I wish that they would do it again. Maybe they didn't like what I said, but it was, it was controlled. But what it really was is to, to, bridge that gap, you know, with police officers, you know, in terms of, hey, these are people who are going to be going out serving the community, and they were shouting out all their core values, but the one thing I impressed upon them is empathy, which I did not hear, Uh, and empathy from my perspective in terms of me empathizing with police officers, you know, understanding they have a difficult job, and so if I make a wrong move and reach in my glove compartment, you know, that doesn't look good, you know, yeah. it, it's because they've got to make a split-second well, decision, yeah. whereas when they're approaching, you know, simple traffic stops, it's, you know, approaching me from a perspective of, you know, a person and not, you know, being so concerned or, you know, uh, you know, kind of making well, accusations of, well, you must have done something because you look nervous. Well, well were you talking about health disparities or yeah. black, black male's health? I'll tell you, well, a, a big health yeah. issue is coming down with a sudden case of death. Because well, you have you have 
the fourth leading cause of death for black men is homicide. Mm-hmm. And that's. So let me ask you, Khalid. Yes, sir. What do you think is contributing to this explosion You know, of things that you're saying? Well, I'll tell you this. You have lots of broken families. You have mm-hmm. broken families. You have people that are not becoming structured. They're not becoming socialized. They are surrounded by a culture of violence and thuggery. There's bad messaging. There's victimization. There's also uh, too much racial demagoguery, which is the reason why these young black men, unfortunately, are going out in your people communities like yours and robbing white people. It's not being reported that way, but it's happening like this all over the country. They're targeting other people in other communities, like Asian communities. It's been going on for four or five years. What's contributing to it? Again, this victimization, there is, there's broken families, there's bad messaging, there's bad values being pushed, because there's no such thing as no values. There's good values and there's bad values. Sure. A lo- there's a, there's a lots of illiteracy that's going on. The criminal justice system is not punishing people. They're slapping people on the wrist and sending them back out to do things over and over again. They're coddling juveniles. You have too many young people that are allowed to exist in these school systems without any structure or consequences for their behavior. There's all sorts of things that are going on. But I think that this culture that we've allowed to, to, to metastasize, where violence and thuggery and lack of respect for life has been allowed to go on without any pushback. And speaking of respect for life, that goes for people in the womb and out of the womb. And Roz, I'm going to get Roz on. She has a question for you, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. All right, Roz, are you there? Thank you for waiting. I would, thank you. I would like to know why Black Lives Matter hasn't been in front of the abortion clinic, because that's the one number one killer of the black community. Or is it that black lives only matter after birth? Thank you, Roz. Well, uh, without getting into the the weeds on that uh, particular subject, which we typically we as a group have stayed away from. How do you feel um, about it, though? How do you feel about it? How do well, I feel about it? No, I no, 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 Daryl, Daryl, this for Daryl. I think he's asking. Oh, okay. I think we yep. we understand how you're feeling about it. Yep. Um, what I would say is. Um, I do not believe in, and this is going to be a twofold question or statement. I do not believe in abortion, uh, but my, I shouldn't say but because then that negates what I just said. I don't believe in abortion, yet the one thing that I understand from a medical standpoint is, A, that uh, I am not going to be the one to dictate what goes on with a woman's body. First off, but the second thing of that is, is I think that we have a um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Like I, I've seen the issues that are coming out and I keep hearing someone talking about or some issues, statements are made talking about that, uh, um, you know, uh, the issue will allow uh, basically infanticide, I guess you can say, meaning. The child is born, or up to the point where the child gets. Are you born talking about? Are you talking about partial birth abortion? Um, no, 
No, they're not calling it that. Uh, I think that you're just it's basically, I mean, some people have made statements and said, you know, you could like end the, the child's life literally <laughs> like the child is born and then you can make a decision whether to end the child's life or yeah. just before the child's getting born. Yeah, that's partial birth. And, that is. That is what it's born. Yeah, that's about. partial birth. Yeah, well, and, and yeah. my whole point is, is simply this, is that um, that is to misrepresent that as something that's the be-all, end-all is, is very disingenuous. I don't know what the, because that is a extremely small percentage. Uh, I do not know what the um, details okay. are around those situations, except to say that I guarantee it has something to do with either the life of the child or the baby or, or the, the okay. mom or both. Okay, so, you, now, so you're better I, agnostic on it. Okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah. So I, He hasn't I, read so the I, bill. Uh, actually, I did read the bill. And, uh, okay, and and what part of at any time didn't you understand? The you're taking that at any time out of the context all the way up to that point. Now, I do believe, and, and, and this is going to be my line in the sand in terms of there needs to be a time frame in terms that everyone can agree on that makes sense. Now, some people are all or nothing, they're like, I don't believe, period. So that means that even goes to birth control pills, to you name it. Okay. And yeah. right. And so that's what I'm saying. So there's like these okay. extremes on both ends. And then there's some place, you know, where you go, okay, I don't like, I don't believe it's birth at conception. That's a process. It's not a baby. It's, it's a process. Right. That, okay. That's ongoing. I got so, you. so all I'm saying is, is that I appreciate and I, I, I appreciate your opinion on it. And one thing that you'll find out from me is I'm never knocking anybody's opinion on it. We can agree to disagree, uh, but as you can see, I—I I mean, I even—I—I'm a uh, evangelical, you know, born uh, United Methodist Christian, uh, but there are certain things that um, I disagree with on both ends. Okay, you know, that's fair. So, that's fair. So I, I leave myself open for that. that that's fair. So, so here, here so I, I have also. Uh, been a volunteer with junior achievement. Uh, right. I, I, I've spoken to, you know, kids in the city as well as in the suburbs. And what I also try to do is I use that opportunity to talk to them about building relationships with people, no matter what they look like. I tell kids treat people with respect, regardless of what they look like, regardless of where they come from. You just treat other people with respect. I don't give them any special instructions, how to deal with black people. I don't give them any special instructions on how to deal with anybody other than sure. if it's another human being, you treat them with respect until you have reason not to. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's Correct. it. Now, when it comes to what's going on in our cities, this there is a serious lack of respect for life amongst young black males. That's a fact. Less than 10 percent of the population is responsible for half of the homicides. And this is including children children are getting shot children meaning under the age of 12 we have babies getting getting intentionally murdered or unintentionally murdered but either way sure. they're losing their lives we have mothers as i mentioned being killed some of them pregnant we have serious youth crime issues in baltimore in, in cleveland in dc and seattle 
This mm-hmm. is th- these are serious issues, and I know you can't save the world. I can't save the world. But what I what I want what I want to ask you is I asked you earlier, how does your how does your efforts improve the lives of black people? Well, I can't speak to uh, what other of the other organizations are doing within their areas. I can always look it up, uh, maybe, you know, online to see what specifically they're doing. What we're making sure of is, at least on this end, in this area, where African-Americans move, that they know that they have a voice uh, in regards to if there's any issues and things that are going on, that they have someone that they can turn to uh, from that perspective. That's the group itself. But understand that my efforts are outside of this group based uh-huh. on my job. I understand. And so, um, so and, and one of the reasons, by the way, why I asked you that question as to, you know, well, what do you think is contributing to it? There's a lot that I think it, it's not a one-stop, you know, fits all kind of thing. Oh, yeah, it's multifaceted, I, I, absolutely. It, it's very multifaceted. I mean, you're, you're 54, so I'm 61, so I... I'm from the, the old school where, you know, it was spare the rod, uh, uh, don't spare the rod, spoil the child kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, where there was corporal punishment within mm-hmm. the schools. Mm-hmm. You didn't have this type of, you know, situation going on. But then also, uh, when you look at the, uh, I'll go back to just the effects of redlining, uh, for instance. The fact that when you look at what's going on in those communities. Wait, wait, where, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, real, real quick. You think redlining is is happening now? No. Oh, you uh, oh you talking about are you talking about from the sixties? I said the effects of redlining okay. because the effects of redlining have not. No one made waved the magic wand and all of the effects disappeared. Well, well, and, and I'll give and I'll give okay. you an example of that. Okay. So so most cities are built like uh, based on a concentric circle theory. So basically, if you've ever heard that, it's you yes. got the metro area. You take one step back. Uh, concentric circle wise, and that's your inner city, low income, another step back, middle class, but another step uh, upper class, and then it goes back again. So my point is simply this. During the time of redlining, which I was surprised, the people that I have my mortgage with <laughs> actually um, originated from the group that uh, the banking system that actually popularized redlining. Uh, and what that ended up doing is in those communities, it started more of a, it was a segregation. It was disenfran- disenfranchisement in terms mm-hmm. of disinvestment. So your homes, you know, the, the, the property values were always depressed. There was disinvestment in terms of businesses coming in there. The banks were like, well, we're not going to, you know, invest in this mm-hmm. community. And okay. there were racial inequities and all that. Yes. But it also affected Okay. Well, well, well. That, let me stop you there because we have a caller who's going to actually talk about this while we have our limited time left. We have Chloe. Oh, okay. And Chloe wants to talk about uh, that very issue. Chloe, you there? Okay. Hi. Yeah, I've been listening to radio, and I grew up in Cleveland my whole life, and I mean in downtown Cleveland, East Fifty Fifth and St. Clair. Wow. Not in a suburb, not anywhere else. And what I have seen happen to Cleveland has been horrific. And one of my biggest problems is the Cleveland Metro school system. You have 40% of children failing two subjects the last two years and just been pushed along. Our governor had to implement a policy to teach phonics. 
We yes. have a human trafficking problem. You see what A.J. Yost said about the children missing in Cleveland. When is Black Lives Matter going to put that money back into Cleveland? When are they going to help the black community solve these problems? Because you hear they're giving over $100,000 this year to the diversity center for programs. But yet reading, writing, math, you know, all that goes out the window. So I just want to know, like, how, how can we put that forward? How can you pay it forward? Thank, thank and I'll talk about community as a whole. All right. Thank you, Chloe. Okay. So, thank you. so, again, we are the Rocky River branch. We have nothing to do with the overall group that's getting all this money or whatever the case may be. And I don't know what the other, uh, quote unquote groups within every state city. I don't know what's going on down in Columbus. I don't know what's going on down in Cincinnati and so forth. But what I will say, going back to what I mentioned before is remember if you're depressing the home value of, you know, the community, the, and, and, and the formula that we were using before was, you know, in terms of what the monies go to pay for the schools was based on your property value, yes. then the, you know, the taxes okay. and whatever. Then the bottom line is you have schools that were underfunded. You have schools that, you know, were, I mean, some of these schools, I don't know if you ever went into some that you kind of looked around and say, what in the heck is going on in terms of the, uh, the condition? And, and I can tell you, when I lived in Avon, just to show you a, 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 a contrast, that my oldest, who, who since passed away, but when she was in that school system, uh, they were constantly uh, building new schools because everyone kept moving out there with kids. And the one school that they built, I kid you not, this elementary school, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, had more computers in that school, I guarantee, than maybe 25 schools in the Cleveland okay. area. Right. Okay. And so what I'm mm-hmm. saying is, is that the, the reason why I say the effects, now redlining, quote unquote, is illegal, but the effects of it are to the point that they did a study in Chicago and they found that 3.2 uh, blacks in that area lost 3.2 to $4 billion in equity. Okay. And I get because what ends up happening is then at the end of everything, if everyone decides they want to move back downtown, then gentrification takes place. And then when that happens, then all of a sudden you move everyone out, Mm -hmm. you know, whether you're rebuilding or whatever the case may be. And then all of a sudden the banks say, oh, now we want to invest. And all of a sudden the property value shifts and the school get better. And all of that. Right. Well, um, let, let, let me just say this. Know, what, let me let me just say this while we have a little bit of time. Um, sure. I, I I definitely know about that history. But he, here was here was the irony. If you take a timeline and you go from 2023 and you you go backwards in time, you go back through the 60s, through the 50s, through the 40s, through the 30s. Our behavior culturally, as the conditions get worse, improve. Our behavior improves. Our culture improves. As you go back towards those very difficult decades that you were born in and your parents and my parents were born in. By the way, I spent my childhood a lot of it, a lot, well, a, a decent amount of it growing up in Chicago as well as Cleveland. Uh, my father lived there for, for decades. My grandparents lived there for several decades. Mm-hmm. I got about 50 family members in Chicago. So I'm very familiar with that area, that city and its history. I spent my time here in public schools. In Cleveland, so I'm very familiar with the whole uh, migration that my parents experienced. So what I'm saying to you is, culturally, we have an issue. There's some effects of what happened 
economically. But I don't think it explains the the breakdown that we have today. Uh, listen, we're gonna have I'm gonna have you on my show, Rising Tides, on Sunday. We can continue the discussion if you don't mind. We have to go now, but thank you for coming uh, or no, calling, no and we'll talk again on my show. I promise, and uh, look forward to it. Just get with Dan, and he'll he'll link it up. All right. All right. All right. Daryl Forrest, BLM uh, Rocky River activist. I am Khalid Namar. We got another hour or so, or half maybe. Um, join me on the other side. We got more. Stick around. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Khalid Namar. That's my buddy. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. I'm Khalid Amar. This is our third hour. I just want to say thank you to our last guest, Daryl Forrest from Rocky River. Um, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Didn't agree on much, but, you know, I had to say what I had to say. But that's why I play that song, Express Yourself. That's what I do here on the Always Right Radio. Again, you can catch me on Rising Tides on Sunday nights. I'm going to be talking about a lot of local issues we're going to try to move some some thought in uh, Cuyahoga County so Sunday nights rising tides nine o'clock on this network also you can catch me on Facebook at Khalid Namar follow me please uh Khalid Namar is speaking on Instagram and X as well formerly known as Twitter so thank you for tuning in thank you for hanging I got messages from a lot of people I haven't heard in a while thank you for listening thank you for hanging in with me um, there's somebody on the line that wants to respond to, to Daryl and it's Sally from Berea. Sally, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Khalid. Um, I, I support the goals of the, the guests that you had on, but I have trouble with just the identity because if you're going to affiliate with an organization, it, it gives you that, um, you know, that identity, and with Black Lives Matter, their um, origins are with Marxist uh, Marxist ideologies and also the fact that they um, support Hamas uh, just even recently in this uh, horrible uh, Israeli war. So um, I wish they would just, you know, create a new name to do what, what all he wants to do. Yeah, and that's, that's it. I agree. Thank you so much. Well, so so here's 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 the reason. I I don't. I've never. And this is the truth. I have never. I've probably never, more so than today, uttered those words. Black Lives Matter. I've never even said it in conversation. I've never talked about it, because I am not into little slogans. I'm not into wearing silly T-shirts, and because that does nothing. Those are just cliches. And here's what happens. The real work that needs to be done, and as, and as I pointed out to Daryl, 
is in the city. So I wrote an article back in 2015, and it's on my old blog, which, which is still up. It's the conservativesage.blogspot.com. So I wrote this article about black men who were getting killed committing crimes, armed robberies. I didn't see anyone writing about it because I noticed these stories. And I started to do some research, and I wrote an article on it. It's happening more now even than it was then. There were two guys in Texas who followed a Hispanic guy home from a, from the bank. He was a merchant, you know, business person. Well, was, I think it was three of them. Two of them aren't here anymore because he took them out. If you care about black life, my philosophy is you tell people how to preserve their black life. And one of the ways you do it is don't take things that don't belong to you or go in someone's house because somebody will kill you. That's just common sense. So, again, it's nice and it's cute to talk to the police and say, hey, you, this is what you all have to do. I agree. But my mom and dad told me and us, we are going to discipline you so the state won't have to do it. So instead of talking to the cops, I would rather give the cops nothing to do. I talked to the kids the other day. I said, when you all are driving, little things become big things. Don't drive unless you have a license and insurance. Don't drive with busted taillights. Don't drive with drugs and weapons in the car. You know, basic stuff that is going to keep you from having interactions with the police. Be responsible because you're not going to get the police to behave perfectly in every situation to accommodate you when you're being an idiot. And even though the news and I wrote another article it was called The Legend of the Unarmed White Man. That article is still getting circulated. It was about all these white guys who were getting shot by the cops, which nobody seems to care about because they're white. White lives don't matter. Anyway, um, <laughs> there were people getting shot, many of them local, many of them in Northeast Ohio that nobody ever talked about because it's not convenient. My thing is there are lots of idiots out here who don't know how to conduct themselves across the board. Instead of dealing with law enforcement all the time, you need to deal with with people's behavior and how to manage themselves. And what I tell people when I talk to them, manage yourself so someone else won't have to. That is the that is where the effort should go. I don't want to talk to a police academy. I don't. I think it's it's a waste of time. But I do want to talk to those kids in my community, which I do. Because I'm going to tell you something. I had to learn my lesson. I had 8 points on my license when I was like 21 years old. Speeding, doing silly stuff, and I got tired of paying them money. And I said, you know what? I'm not coming back down here. I am not giving these people any more of my money. I've been fine ever since. You have to work on the individual. So criminal justice reform, okay, fine. But we never talk about reforming the individual. We never talk about reforming people and their thinking and their behavior because guess what? The cops are not a factor in my life, and they haven't been a factor in my life for years, for years. And I want to, and I, and I don't, they never have actually other than traffic interactions. It is up to the individual to deal with this issue. I don't care how many people you speak to, how many speeches, how many t-shirts and, and yard signs. Doesn't matter. With respect to Daryl, let's go to Todd in line two. How are you, Todd? Thanks for holding. Please. You hear me all right now? Brother, I have I have been trying to get in touch with you uh, 
when you finish this call, please leave your information. I definitely want to talk to you. I wanted to meet you, but I'm glad you called. I'm going to tune in now that I know you have a 9 o'clock show. Yes, sir. It's good they got more brothers on the network. I'm with that. Yes, sir. Uh, or a brother at this point. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to start just, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Did you grow up inside the city? I grew up in Glenville my whole life. Okay. All right. All right. So what I want, since it's, a fr- since it's a Friday and there's a little bit more flexibility on what could be discussed, I want to talk about something that, that troubles me and encourages me at the same time. And that's cities that have close numbers in population to Cleveland but have homicide rates drastically lower than Cleveland and the reason why. I bring this up to Bob every now, every now and then when I call in now. Um, Cleveland's somewhere between the 54th and 55th most populous city in the country right now. The numbers are steadily dropping. That's why I say somewhere between, okay? Cleveland has 367,000 people. They had 155 homicides last year. Arlington, Texas is the 52nd most populous city in the country. They had 18. Um, Anaheim, California is right behind Cleveland, and they had about 18 or 19 as well. And then I looked at Raleigh, North Carolina to come on this, just for the purpose of coming on this side of the Mississippi, which is the 40th largest, most populous city in the country, and they had 40 homicides last year. And what I knew what the contributors were to their homicide rates being low. But I also knew what the resources are in Cleveland that already exist so that their homicide rates could be as low as well. They have much better civic engagement mm-hmm. from the private sector in those cities, in their taxpayer-funded neighborhood public schools and libraries. The people more often, not all the time, but more often come to their council ward meetings prepared yes. with questions that directly address the solutions for the um, war getting better as opposed to just coming to rant or get free food because a lot of people give away free food yes. at their ward meeting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, a handful of other things, um, like San Diego has a, has a population of 1.39 million people. San Diego only had about 55 homicides last year. And San Diego's... Um, Police department has 1,800 people, but 600 of them are civilian employees because their their particular purpose is to engage with the public in healthy pursuits that are not necessarily directly related to law enforcement, but reduce the necessity for law enforcement to get involved in criminal activities because they're preventative steps. Cleveland has all these things available to them, and note that number: the law or the police officers in that city that has 1.39 million people. You said San Diego? Yeah. Wow. They're the ninth largest city in the country. There's, it's not because it's California. You know, It's yeah. not, because, not because they have more white people, and it's not because they're more educated either. It's, it's because of their civic engagement. And our population here in the city of Cleveland is not very well civically engaged with the practical, healthy pursuits that aren't directly related to law enforcement. But if they were, we'll reduce the number of criminals because criminals don't want to be around populations like that. I agree. I agree. You know what? That is an excellent, excellent point. Great information because this is what I'm doing actually myself. I want to get out in front of people and engage and talk to kids, talk about different things that are going on, get them to talk about things. So you bring up an excellent point. And going forward, 
this is why I wanted to meet you. I've heard you on Sports Talk. I've heard you on this show. I've been trying to track you down. Uh, <laughs> I ain't hard to find, man. You ain't been tra- you ain't re- nah, I don't believe that. I'm an easy dude, I'm an easy dude to keep up with. <laughs> but go ahead. I'm listening. Man. Yeah, definitely. There's some things I would like to work with you on uh, and talk with you. We'll, 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 we'll get together and talk and see what we can both do because I, I like the way you think I always have when I heard you on these programs. And uh, I want to hear more about some of the ideas that you have and some of the information you have that can possibly help me in my efforts. So I appreciate it because it is all about getting people engaged and getting into people's, uh, getting into their spaces and trying to redirect them and redirect some of this energy and in their, in their thinking and maybe even reach out because some people may be just one conversation away from changing their life around if we're, if we're available to them. So I definitely want to do that with you. Just leave your information with uh, Marianne if you would. And uh, I definitely am serious. want to take you up on that. I want to make sure it's clear that people hear this too. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cost a lot of money. It may cost you more time. It will cost you more time. But the larger the numbers, the less the commitment needed from the public. Absolutely. At the pub, at the PTA has people that are not just signed up and then they're gone, or people that once their kids leave the school, they're done with it. It's a public. The, the school is a um, nonprofit for the neighborhood. Yes. And you know, think and they're not just there for party occasions, but they're actually there to recruit, to go find help, find new teachers and teachers aid and um, correct and work, help work on curriculum. Then the school becomes more appealing to people who want to move into the neighborhood who may or may not have children, but do want to be in a neighborhood that's well managed, which keeps criminals away because they don't want to be around areas that are well managed. Absolutely. Definitely. Just talk about, we will continue to do that. And like I said, leave information and, uh, Let's let's do that. And thanks for calling. I appreciate it. I'm gonna tune in nine o'clock Sunday, on Sunday on this station. Rising tides, yes, sir. Thank you, Todd. All right, All right man. All right, brother. All right, we got Sister Mary Grace on line one. How are you, Sister Mary Grace? Oh, blessing. I I am blessed, and I'm glad you're bringing this up because a lot of people who see the BLM they don't look at it and they don't know the history. You see, and when they see those signs and they see people picketing and we have enemies within that are, you know, having parades and having a good time when the people are suffering, then it's very much with our open borders that it's going to happen to us. And uh, that is a very important thing to bring up. Because they don't always know. Yeah, that we know. Thank you, sister. And I tell you, we know that uh, Patrice Cullors and the BLM founders—they had an agenda. They were trained by Marxists, and this is their their words. We're trained right. Marxists. But what about Larry Elder? I loved Larry. Elder. Yeah, I, I've he met Larry. Yes. <laughs> and why wasn't he even in the lineup? Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. That just tires me because mm-hmm. that man is so excellent. And he has run before. He should have been in there. And what was that about? Yeah. That just really tires me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, for listening to my opinion. I appreciate it. God yeah. bless you. God bless you. Yeah, they have too many barriers for those debates. Larry should have been on that stage for sure. You know, it's it's a... I I refuse to watch any more debates like ever. I think I watched the first one and that was it. I have no interest. They're not even, uh, they're not debates, nor are they productive. It's just, it's made for television nonsense. So 
I don't, I don't watch it. So Larry should have been on that stage. And I can tell you that <clears throat> the real work that I want to do is, is I want, when I hear politicians and even citizens alike, they get on television, they say, well, we, you know, we need more police. Uh, you know, we need more police. No. Well, the, the police can't be everywhere and they pretty much don't prevent crime. They respond. They don't prevent it. We have 20 something thousand homicides in this country every year. And, and God knows how many other crimes the police really can't prevent crime. They can respond. It's up to people to prevent crime by not doing it. That's my goal is to have fewer police people to police themselves. That's the only way we can at least begin to change. Um, I had a, a, a coworker years ago who worked in Japan. He sold blue jeans on the street. Uh, he happened to be a black man who worked there for a year. He said he put his jeans out on the table outside of the store on the sidewalk. People walk him down the street and they could sample the jeans and so forth. He said nobody stole anything because theft in Japan is very low. It's very low. And Prince, the late great Prince did a concert there. He put 600 tambourines on the first several rows of the, of the, of the concert. People had a good time with them doing a concert. He said they put them down on the seats after the show and they left. <laughs> They left all the tamarines. Now, if that was here in the States, those things would have been on eBay the same night <laughs> with Ford signature <laughs> on them. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's a different, it's a cult. Now it, it took a long time for them to get to that point. We have sport looting for sport. Theft is the gateway crime. Theft is the fastest way people end up in prison. And I tell kids this, the fastest way to get to prison is to take things that don't belong to you. If you, if you steal, you were robbed. If you rob, you were murdered. We just had guys breaking in cars in Philadelphia last night. They were confronted by police officers and one of the police officers was, well, two were shot. One was killed. No, I think three were shot and one was killed. This was just last night in Philadelphia. Guys stealing. So now you have a murder charge. And, and when they find him, if you steal, you will rob. If you rob, you will murder. And if those people out here who claim that they care about life, Black life, brown life, green life, orange life. The best thing you can do is tell people how to police themselves. If you want to improve their economic prospects, tell them how to police themselves. Tell them how they can give themselves a chance to advance in this society. And they can't do it by being a thief and a crook unless you're going to Congress. Anyway, um, <laughs> if you all want to get in, still got a little time left. Uh, 216-901-0945, I want to thank everybody that called. It was good to hear from Todd, Sister Mary Grace, everybody. And uh, we got a little bit of time left, so stick around. I'm Khalid Namar. This is Always Right Radio. Informed. 
Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Welcome back to Always Right Radio. I'm Khalid Namar in our last segment here. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. True story, true story. I used to play this song in my head when I used to go to state house uh, committee hearings uh, last year. I'm not kidding. I used to play this song in my head. <laughs> Clowns to the left, jokers to the right. Absolutely. Great song. So, you know, something I, I heard this morning on the news and, and I almost like fell out of my chair. Because when you, the image of my country, and I'm sure a lot of us feel this way, that's why you listen to the show, has been just shattered when you see what has become of our system. So I just saw this story, or heard this story this morning, and this is, I'm reading this article, and forgive me, it's from the New York Times. Russia detains Navalny's lawyers and move to further isolate him, allies say. I'm sure you're thinking what I'm thinking. Russia detains Navalny's lawyers. So this Alexei Navalny, who's a political opponent, who has been brought up on all sorts of bogus charges, and now they've arrested his lawyers. And no, they don't have a Fonnie Willis in Moscow. But it seems like they do. So Russian authorities on Friday detained three lawyers representing the jailed opposition leader Alexei Navalny. And what his supporters said was a government-led attempt to continue to isolate him and further limit his ability to influence his country's political life. Unbelievable. In a series of statements, Mr. Novalny's team members said that the lawyers, Vadim Kobazev, Igor Sergunin, and Alexei Lipster, were being investigated on suspicion of belonging to an extremist group and that their homes had been searched before the men were detained. Speaking during a court hearing on Friday, Mr. Novalny, 47, who have been sentenced by Russian courts to 19 years in prison overall on charges of fraud, embezzlement, contempt of court, and extremism, said the fact that his lawyers were being investigated characterizes, well, the state of justice in Russia. My goodness, that is, that is utterly frightening to know that we are now mirroring Russia. Because our justice system is doing exactly the same thing as we know to Donald Trump. Arresting the lawyers. As during the Soviet times, they're, they're prosecuting only political activists and turn them into political prisoners. But also the lawyers said Mr. Navalny's fervent critical president, Vladimir Putin, according to a recording posted by a team on X, the site formerly known as Twitter. And this is stunning we can no longer wag our fingers at anybody particularly not russia or china because we have turned into them we've turned into them arresting the lawyers so now when these people talk about putin we have to ask him are you jealous because you're doing the same thing it says this is the charges that they've uh, leveled against Navalny have been just unbelievable. They're trying to lock this guy up forever. He rose to prominence in the early 2010s. First as an anti-corruption lawyer and blogger. In 2011, he led a mass protest that contested 2011 parliamentary elections in Russia. In 2013, he ran for mayor of Moscow, garnering more than 600,000 votes, coming close to forcing the current favorite candidate into a second round of voting. Yeah, 
Yeah, he's got a lot in common with Trump as far as getting under the skin of people in the establishment there. And so now they're arresting his lawyers. This is what this is what corrupt regimes do. Uh, while we got a little time left, I got a good friend on the line, uh, Dan Messina. How are you, Dan? I'm alive and feeling fine. That's good to hear, brother. Um, uh, good interviews today. I loved them. Yeah, and, uh, and we had some great calls. Yeah, yeah, excellent callers, too. Um, I have an event. Yes. A Braver Angels event. Now, as you know, Braver Angels is uh, an or- it's a national organization. Mm-hmm. They want to de- they're looking to bridge the political divide on a grassroots level. And how they did it is through local alliances. Now, I'm a coach, red co-chair for the Northeast Ohio Alliance, mm-hmm. and we're having a meeting this Wednesday at the Parma Heights Library. Uh, and this is uh, it's a series but uh, of meetings that we're having. But this one's going to be on two topics, and it's the topics that were picked by reds and blues, or that were liberals and, and uh, conservatives. Mm-hmm. And the topic that uh, conservatives chose was equal justice under the law, and uh, yeah, kind of like a, what Democrats I was just reading about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, uh, and and uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and I think that's what this that is what that addresses. Uh, and the other topic is voting rights mm-hmm. for Democrats. So we're going to do a deep dive on it. So we're meeting at six. We're meeting. Uh, the meeting starts at six thirty, goes to eight thirty, at the Parma Heights Library, uh, and our doors open at six p.m. There will be refreshments there. Uh, we'll be getting some pizza for sure, and uh, uh, it's a good. It's a good way to engage the other side. This is a good way to sort of uh, confront and face. Uh, people that differ with us, and I think we need to have these kinds of conversations. Yeah, yeah but, uh, but we need these kind of contentious conversations to work things out a bit. Yeah, but at least let them know what we think. Yeah, I know, Dan, and you know, you know what I'm so, going to say because you know I've been to these things, and okay. I, I only do them because you ask. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, of course you're going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't. Right? Yes, I will be there. You know, I don't say no to you, unfortunately. So, so here, here is my problem. He doesn't know how to quit. <laughs> Here's the problem: we have to be honest, right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And some of the people who are just—they're not honest, so it's difficult to. Talk to people who kind of, if, if, if you look outside and it's 75 and sunny and they want to tell you it's raining, you can't agree with people like this. So one of, one of the people in the group told me that CNN was conservative. I pretty much had to leave at that point. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, how how right. do you do that? Where do you go from there? Yeah, well, I hit no, really, the, what, uh, what do you, you, you can't. I, I probably would have asked him so. Uh-oh. What do you think of, um, gosh, I, well, no, you know what? Forget it. I, I, I know. If, if you want to go to this event, we're, and we're looking for, always looking for reds. We're soon to have a deficit of reds to, to come. In, in other words, conservatives or libertarians or anyone right of center. We're really looking for anybody right of center who uh, wants 
like to talk about these issues, and this audience I know does. Mm-hmm. Um, so come on out. You can find the event at braverangels.org. Okay. That's the national site. They list all the events, and you can search the event by, by region. So it'll be easy to find. I'm also going to post it to ohiofan.com. That's a popular site, too. It was set up okay. by Tom Hack. Yeah, our buddy Tom. Um, and his organization, yes. So um, you'll be able to find it there. It's not up there now, but it will be. I'm going to post it. Okay. Hopefully get it on there today. All right. So I, I got something for you. Hold on. You have no idea how bad it gets. I wish I knew how to quit you. <laughs> 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 little, little broke back mountain reference i'm gonna tell you oh i'm gonna tell you you know my, my my dad my dad was a major like cowboy movie western fan right my dad was like john wayne you know big valley bonanza you know all of that right and when this movie came out i told my my brother i said we could not let dad see this movie because he is going to <laughs> he we he is going to have a Fred Sanford heart attack if he sees this movie. <laughs> it just, my dad, it, it, no. My dad was John, like said, John Wayne, Gene Autry, Buck and the Preacher. You don't, you don't have this kind of movie for my dad to see. No, absolutely not. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, my, no, my dad was similar. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to take him to that movie. No, no, no. He, 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 some people, no. some people just can't handle certain things. But anyway, um, <laughs> so look. Braver Angels meeting, Parma Heights Library gave out the sites. Yep. And thank you for, for linking up that interview with, with our friend. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.